everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Pop Collectors Alliance podcast, episode 121. Let's take a look at Lego. I'm your host, Rick, as always, joined by my co-bearded co-host, Captain Strongbeard, Mr. Piper, back to the regular rhythm, but late as hell. How are we doing this evening? It's not that late. You're just crying about things. Oh, boo hey, Stop it. My, it. I live in a different time zone and it's late. My feelings hurt. <laughs> No, but this is a, a, a late Monday, early Tuesday. Just to update everybody, you, hopefully you hear this before the release. There is an NFT release tomorrow. What is it? The exciting Hanna-Barbera set that everybody is just nipping at the bits tomorrow. So if you're going to be part of it, just a friendly reminder, 11 a.m. Pacific time and adjust that to wherever you're located so you don't forget, I think I'm going to buy two or four premium packs and hold on to them this time just to see what happens. If we get a non-sellout and burning packs, what are my opportunities and how can that work out? I'm currently building a boatload of the House of Dragon royalty sets. I'm up to eight right now. Let's see how far I can go. I'm not spending my money on it. What, on the Hanna-Barbera? No, no, not at all. I have zero interest in it. I mean, yeah, me too. I don't, I mean, I don't have interest in it, but like I said, I want to do this test. Like I told everybody last week, I don't go on there. I just don't see do it, it as like a fine, even as a financial opportunity, I, I don't see it as being like a important, I, I, I don't see the pos- the potential there, I guess is what I'm trying to say. That's I my did guess. look at the numbers for yeah. house of dragons and the sets that they have where they d- deleted 5,000 something of the premium packs. It looks like most of the grails and legendaries are around 80%-ish, maybe a little bit more uh, or less, give or take. But they seem to have gotten a lot of redeemables. I think I have I have eight royalty sets, a grail, three, um, six, seven of different legendaries. I got three baby daddies. So we should after this after this episode. We should go on to Atomic Hub and we should test our luck. I'll buy like three packs and see if we can get any hits off of it. Okay. I'll do um, for D and D. Let's let's do it for well. No, how much? Nothing got burned for Dungeons and Dragons, right? They're reasonably affordable. I yeah, everything's sold out. It was like thirteen dollars for a pack, which is crazy because like I I don't. What's the point of even buying them at that point then? It's like you, you're going to make 50 cents off of every pack. Well, I think what, what's gotten crazy with those NFTs is the royalty sets uh, to get the epics. They kind of just like go anywhere from 8 to $12. So, and they put out 12 of them. You know what the strategy is right there? Secondary market sales and Funko scooping up a little bit of that percentage. So if you put 12 epics, you know they're all going to sell at that and you're taking x amount of percent you can sort of forecast income i mean it's all a numbers game right so i get frustrated because early on it wasn't always 12 of the epics in sets you could get like six or eight or 10 or something that that was lower than what they are now but the low one the low epics was only for a couple of sets and then they they bumped it up well there was eight for a long time and eight's more reasonable than 12 because I want the Freddy from the Nickelodeon set. I really want the Reptar. And I, I haven't just bought a lot. That's affordable. So I, I just, 
I bought two packs of the two or three packs of the, um, premiums. So, you know, I, I got a lot of legendaries out of that one pack. I got three legendaries in and I wanted the Freddy and the invader Zim pop. So I'm going to just buy the Freddy when the coins come out and then I just keep those legendaries and redeem them. So I'm, I'm happy there. And it's like a trade-off, right? Like if the packs are low, everything in the set, if you go from, I know we're rabbit holing here, everybody listening, but there's good points (laughs) in here. Um, Every pack in the set, like if you get the pack and you go down to the tier, so the commons, uncommons, rares, epics, everything to uh, common, uncommon is normally between five and eight cents, a, a NFT. And then when you get to the rares, there can range anywhere from like 25 cents to a, a dollar or something. I, I haven't really seen, they've been higher than that before, but early on and when you're buying them. So it doesn't really make sense unless you get premium packs and you get most of the epics, then you can just go back and finish the royalty set. Because sometimes, and you've seen it, like you open a pack and there's like four or five epics in it if you get a premium sometimes. Right, yeah, yeah. If you get that lucky, I mean, you've made your money back and some, so. Uh, but back to what we said, Hanna-Barbera opens tomorrow. I'm going to try to just get two to four packs of the premiums. If I can make $10 on them and see where it is prospecting it to buy more of other things that I'm looking for, I'll do that. Uh, if not, then I'll just open them. I mean, who cares? <laughs> All right. So like we said before this episode, we're going to do something a little bit different. Um, we're going to go into a brief small topic that I saw on Facebook because we always love those popcorn conversations. And then we're going to go over Lego for a little bit for people who might want to get into the sets, tie that to some of the episodes that we had talked about in the past where, you know, transparency of a company, sourcing your fan base correctly, executing a technical strategy to put things out, have interfaces with users and communications. It's very clear cut. And then also where they've had successes in movies and successes in video games. I think Lego is not the only toy company to do that, but I think they've been very successful as of late. So we'll get into Lego after that. Uh, But first this week, Piper, a cold topic that I brought up today, I was in the fig pin group and there was a picture and I don't know if any of our listeners, I know that a lot of them collect fig pin, but it's in one of the fig pin Facebook groups where a cosplayer dressed up like Princess Leia, Return of the Jedi, in the forest, you know, she has the poncho on, the blue pants and the the boots, and did a side-by-side with one of her professional images and what Figpin put out as a pin and said, hey, they copied my work. I She wasn't asking to get money or anything. I think in the thread, if you like look at how she had commented on things, it was, I'm not asking for money, but hey, they could have at least given me a pin. So it it begged to like open up for discussion because I thought it was interesting and seeing different perspectives from people of, you know, cosplaying is copying the movie and then they're copying you. So don't do wrongs, make a right in this scenario. You know, I, I just thought it was interesting to say, like, when we talk about licensing and things along the lines about designs and how companies do things and Piper, you're in this world anyways of design and things along those lines, getting your raw take on what is creative expression? How does that tie into 
this? And is it really a problem if someone takes a picture and is inspired by it to create something? That's, that's the thing you, and this kind of falls into the whole like creative and artistic liberties kind of thing, because like her, the photo was not, it's, it's not copywritten, right? She, I mean, she owns the, 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 probably the rights to the print or maybe not. Maybe the, maybe the photographer owns the rights to it, but, and probably a lot of people are going to be mad about this because I mean, yeah, Figpin's kind of been known for that where they all just like, most of the time they just take a, an image from a, you know, whatever it is, whether it's a, a baseball card or a basketball card, or they will take a scene from a movie, like a specific stance. And it looks like they just put it through a filter in Facebook or on Photoshop. Oh no, I said Facebook, put it, put it a filter on Photoshop. And then they're like, all right, we made a pin. And then they send it off for production. And that, that's kind of what this looks like. There were a couple of changes they made. Like they didn't put the helmet on her where she had the helmet in the, uh, in the photograph, but the actual fig pin didn't have that. And there was a couple other like really minor changes and maybe it was a coincidence. Right. Because I'm, I'm sure it was a scene from a movie. I'm, I'm sure it was a scene from one of the movies, right? Yeah, it is. And there's images that I looked at that were closely related. I think the only thing for me, when I look at that picture and maybe I'll try to find a link that I can put, uh, on the show notes so people can see it. It's the wrinkles in the pants almost identically matching. Mm, that's a problem. But and that's, that was the only thing that like threw me off. Out of everything, it was just the wrinkles that were in the pants that like matched the fig pen perfectly. Okay, so but beyond that, right? One, like somebody mentioned in, this, the, in the comments on this thread, which I hadn't seen it yet, and it happened to be the exact comment I made to you, is... She's making a living off of someone else's creative works because let's, she wasn't in star Wars. She wouldn't, she wasn't the lady. She wasn't princess Leia. She dressed up like the lady. That, what, what's her name? What's why can't I think of princess Leia's name? The actor Beverly put me on the spot. Beverly, Beverly Hanborg. Carol Carrollton. No, what is, oh, am I going to have to, I might have to look up. Well, I, I just want to say something because I'm going to forget this thought. And Carrie Fisher. Yeah, yeah. I was getting there. I, okay. It, it light bulbed. But it reminds me of, I believe it's Mall Rats, where <laughs> he's, he's, you're a tracer. You're a tracer. Because <laughs> he's, he's, he's an anchor. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And he's like, you're just a fan. That's a fancy name for a tracer. And I'm like, they, they took that. I can just see somebody with a, um, opaque piece of, you know, tracing paper and they got it on their monitor and they're, <laughs> and they're just drawing. tracing the, the photo of this, this cosplayer. Okay. Yeah. So this girl is not Carrie Fisher. Okay. She is not, uh, she is not, uh, the, the star Wars man, uh, dude, like to the bumper. Are you talking about princess Leia? She, yeah. But I'm saying that the cosplayer, George Lucas, the cosplayer is not George Lucas. And she is also not Carrie Fisher, nor is she anybody else that is in the movie. She does not own the rights to that, that image. Okay. So I, I said to you, well, if we want to get down to the nitty gritty here, if old Georgie Lucas got mad and was like, cause he's a petty boy. Like let's, well, he doesn't own it anymore. He no, he doesn't. He does not. But 
Lucas. Well, no, I think he owns. He doesn't. He did he sell the rights off to the original three? Yeah, I think. Disney I thought he still owns owned the. I thought he still had some films. publishing rights. Or so you're going to come up with all of these things that I have no research on. Oh uh, yeah, I know exactly. <laughs> so let's let's. But okay, we'll pretend he doesn't. But Disney, if Disney was like, okay, well, which because also Disney is also very petty. They could, you know, who's saying that they couldn't be like, well, you're you're infringing on our rights because you are you know, impersonating someone that you are definitely not. So they maybe be able to take her to court, which I doubt they could, or I mean, I don't think they would win, but I wouldn't put it past Disney for doing something crazy like that. But my point is she's getting mad because they copied her and she's copying somebody else. So it's a facsimile of a facsimile. And that's why the fig pin looks so bad. <laughs> Cause you can't, <laughs> you can't copy a copy. No, but seriously, I don't, I get her point. I would probably be irritated too. Like, you know, we put a podcast out and it's kind of irritating when people steal our stuff. So, I mean, I get it. I get it. Oh, that's, I know that's a sensitive topic, but it's a topic we come, we talk about all the time, but it, I, I get the, her irritation, but at the same time, it's kind of like what, I don't know that she really has a right to like really push anything other than just to like stand on a soapbox and be like, Hey, you took this from me and then and that please don't do that again. And they won't, they'll keep doing it. Yeah. I think that creative interpretations of things we we're in the con world. So we go to cons all the time. You see the art artists that are there and the new world of AI and how that ties into creative expression and, and works that you which see a lot of the cons have now uh, have a policy now for artist alley that you cannot use uh, AI generated artwork. Like it's like not allowed, which I, that's a whole nother, like that's, that's a deep hole that we could go down that I don't, I don't yeah, we're not going to, we're not going to prepare for that subject one. here. Yeah. No, but I mean, it's the same thing. It's like, okay, what about, what about fan art? Right. Because you go to a con and there's a lot of people that are producing art and it may, may be like legit. Like they've spent hours and hours doing these, these drawings and stuff and they've had them printed and they look really nice and they're framed and stuff like that. But you know, they don't own the rights to wolverine or to batman or something like that but they're they're creating their own interpretations of that now this is not this is not figpin's own interpretation of of this cosplayer's photo it's it's pretty dang close to just being a copy but it's kind of like it fits within the same space but it, it's it's just a tough like juggling act there right because it's like yes they should not have done that crap but also I don't know how much wiggle room she has to be like super angry about it. No, I agree. I also think one of the things too in the world of creative expression, I keep saying it in copyright law, it's like a copy of a copy of a copy. It's, it's all over the place. YouTube reaction videos, right? We play a video. We have a picture of somebody or an, uh, picture in picture, right? Like a reaction to the video, but they're really playing the video and whoever may have done a video or not done a video, whatever that is, all you do is put your picture on there and you react to it. And it's a creative expression. It's not copyright infringement. You can't get a strike against it. It's like that fine line. And even when like I went to VidCon or have been part of seminars of, you know, podcast movement, things like that, when it comes to it, it's all subjective to a judge. That's what it comes down to is one person will make the decision 
as to, hey, did you infringe upon this or did you not? And I think for something like this, it wouldn't make a difference, but it does speak to a larger issue that you have out there when you are creating something or, or when it's new, like where's the fine line and licensing and all of that compounds things. Because a lot of times, like you're talking about people at these conventions, they're not making hand over fist and money on their prints that they're spending time on. Like these are people that make a good living. They travel across the country. It's fun to do, but, but again, it's their interpretation of the drawing and, but it's characters that other people created. So it's a give or take, but certainly when it comes to licensing, the barriers that are in your way, like me and you can't go like to Disney tomorrow and say, Hey, we got this great idea. And you know, how much is it? And, and talking to future episodes that we're going to come up with, when we talk about licensing and we'll even talk about a little tonight of how expensive those barriers are to break through. And you see even large companies, whether it's royalty based or lump sum, if we're paying for a time period to produce things, they have to fork out a lot of cash or take a hit on the back end of sales for royalties to accomplish these things. So all of that sort of ties together uh, to larger discussions I can't wait to get into later this year. Don't be mad at me, people, for not siding with the artist. <laughs> I'm a it's, purist, damn it. Well, no, I mean, like, I, I try. I mean, it's like I said, it's a. It's hard. No, no, it's fine. I, I think that it was an interesting, interesting topic and, and getting in some of those popcorn discussions. It's just fun to just sit back and watch people because ultimately everybody comes out of the woodwork and. I've got an opinion here and I'm going to get in a Facebook argument. Me too. You love that. Oh, I'm terrible about it. Like I, I don't you know. You are behind to... the wall throwing Molotov cocktails over sometimes. Oh yeah. Sometimes I just like to poke the bee nest. No, that's, that's funny. So maybe I can good. get something in the show notes this week to show you guys and, and uh, get some reactions. But with that, let's go to the main topic of this week's episode. That is Lego. And if you haven't heard about Lego, then you definitely live in a basement somewhere that you've been locked for your entire life. I say, today. It's hard <laughs> when there's, you know, a toy that's been around since what? 1970 something. No, the first Lego and we'll go, I guess it's uh, even older than that, isn't it? Britannica. Yeah. For that, the first version of Lego, uh, the first plastic brick was produced in 1949 they began making wooden tools in 1932 a company out of denmark as everyone knows um i don't know what how to pronounce the words but it's a danish phrase called leg goot which leg means goot. play well uh so that's where lego came from but first plastic brick was built in 1949 and it probably was filled with toxins <laughs> <laughs> they didn't care about that stuff back then. Uh, put the kid, put it in your mouth. Um, then soon after that, 1968, they opened the first Lego land. And then in 1969, they started Duplo. And if anyone doesn't know what Duplo is, that's kind of the little kids, bigger blocks that they come um, to, so that they, you know, they struggled with a smaller block. So this allows, you know, two and three year olds to put things together, not choke on it and die. Guess so. when the first year that they started licensing things was? Ooh, 
I know for a long time they did the, you know, their own thing. Like, oh, here's a city. There's a policeman. There's a helicopter. Here's a rocket ship. I don't know. Um, I'm going to guess 80s. 1999. What? Yeah, I had to, I had to check that, fact check There's- that across multiple websites. But 1999 is the first year that they were licensed like movies and popular Was it Star media. Wars? Uh, it was two things at the same time. Was one of them Star Wars? One of them was Star Wars. Yeah, it, I got that right. <laughs> ding, ding, ding. The other one was Winnie the Pooh with Duplo. Oh, I would have. I was gonna get. I was gonna throw ET in there, but I, I guess that makes sense because you know it's kid, it's kid friendly. So the history behind that is, if you know the Star Wars Episode One, the Phantom Menace released. They got that license with that re-release, you know, the the first part of the six part before they made turned into nine part. But the Phantom Menace set was released, and this is I'm going from Wikipedia all across from Britannica, Britannica, however you want to say it, and then Lego itself, the websites I'm getting the information from. But you can see through the years Lego's licensing. 1999. I would have never thought that in a million years. For some reason, I thought it was way before that. Yeah, I mean, it just seems weird that it's not. It it took them a long time to get on that train. Yeah, and they've really blown up. If you haven't followed, they they've created lines, and I want to break this out in the areas where I think their strengths are, and why as a collector I love Lego. But you know, as of late, I would say the past really ten years have been super strong for them licensing helped them out but they've gained a lot of licenses they started with star wars winnie the pooh disney were their first lines out and then in 2001 they got harry potter along those lines and they've grown that brand they actually lost harry potter for one year which always brings me into that licensing question i have is like how in the hell do you lose a license was it procured are we talking about royalties how do they structure their deals I'm sure we'll never know about it, but maybe we can look at smaller companies, maybe have um, Abominable Toys on and see how they license Bob Ross and what the, what does that stuff look like? What hoops did you have to j- jump through? Because I'm just supremely interested in that. That's something we've always been... I, I, think, it's, I think a lot of people, that's like the an, an interest point because it's always kind of... I think if you just... Anyone that starts thinking about it, you're like... Okay, this has to be complicated. Yeah, and it's something that people, like I said earlier in the episode, it's a barrier, right? So smaller companies don't rarely ever break that barrier unless they're pushed to scale. We know Funko targeted and things like that. But for Lego, that was something that really blew them to the next level with expanding lines, licensing agreements with like Ferrari for some of the the stuff that they do. And then they went into uh, video games. So you have all of these Lego creator things that they were doing early on video games that they, they had made with, they've done things with Marvel, uh, Indiana Jones, all kinds of crazy things, star Wars, all of the video games, they've branched into that. And then they had the Lego movie. So you can see all of those products and other toy companies have done this like Hasbro with transformers and things like that. We create content to sell toys, right? And it's just interesting to see Lego from that perspective of how much they've grown since they were able to license stuff. But more importantly, to break down Lego and why I think that if you haven't looked into Lego and you haven't supported it, I know it's a huge company, but still, 
um, things that they do well and maybe Funko and people that we genuinely, generally target on these episodes could follow is I want to go right into the Lego ideas. So we had talked a little bit of last week about transparency and I'll put this in the show notes if you haven't ever seen Lego ideas, but basically they crowd, I, I would crowdsource as a poor word for this maybe but it's more of a competition i mean it is a crowdsource but it's it's not just like you don't you don't because crowdsourcing is more like you pay money to have something made like hasbro pulse is more crowdsourcing whereas this is like i guess like crowd competition yeah exactly and it's you're voting not with dollars but with just buttons you support something and lego has come up with how to integrate this into their release cycle. So Lego ideas, anyone can go in and submit it. It could be, you could be a master builder and go and, you know, old fashioned way, go to the Lego store, buy a bunch of bricks, build something on your own, create it, put it out there, take pictures of it, give a brief explanation, then people vote on it. Uh, It has to garner about 10,000 votes. I think 10,000 votes is a threshold. Yes. To move to the next cycle for review. That's where they can get into licensing and procurement to build the sets and parts and make sure that they can coordinate that and create it. Now there's timelines on everything. Uh, as you s- see it go through development, I'm on the site now, they, they have the moon project. It's, it's kind of like the map of the earth that they, they created and it's earth's companion and they have 6,288 viewers. So once you reach specific thresholds, like any roadmap, they give you additional days to gain the 10,000 votes. Lego itself gives direct feedback. So if you open any project, for example, the office 21336, it's a set that they've come out with and look at where they go. Lego's commenting through the production of the, the not production, but the development of the piece. So you have congratulations on a hundred supporters. Congratulations on a thousand supporters. You've earned extra days. 5,000 supporters, et cetera, et cetera. Then you get the 10,000 supporters and then they put it for review and the product is set for production and the release. So it's a standard process that allows them to map out what they're going to produce based on demand that they get from their direct fan base. Piper, have you it's- bought any of the idea sets? We've had some idea sets in the store that people have traded in. And they are bonkers. Usually they are very, very cool pieces. They're very unique. And it's, it's licenses that you wouldn't normally see. Cause if you like, it kind of sticks to like Marvel, DC, Disney, and then just like cars and, and buildings like, Oh, and then they, I mean, then there's some other stuff thrown in there, you know, but that's really what it is. So it's kind of cool that the, the idea sets, they, a give i guess it's it's a branch out to go in all these different areas the stuff that you might be interested in that may not be like traditional lego like for instance like the office set like you mentioned that's really cool and the one we've had in the store before which we actually just recently sold was the beatles yellow submarine which came with you know had all the mini figs of the beatles and they had the yellow submarine on the stand with like a placard and stuff like that and then they've done ones like the newest one is the bts dynamite scene from yeah. the music video like there's and then they have some like traditional stuff like the winnie the pooh one fantastic model i've seen it built i've never i had a chance to sit down and do it but 
that's you kind of go through like the history of like what idea sets have been made which ones are available like you know the friends and seinfeld that's another ones that like they're very nice well well constructed very intricate and detailed things and i think the other thing people should know is like if you're out there looking for those ideas that these are all limited production pieces like it's not something that's going to be out there for like a couple years if you get it when it's out when you can find it go to the go to your local lego shop if you have one if not go you know hunt it down at whoever your local lego place is because once those are gone those are gone they do not stay in production for very long because those licenses seem to be pretty short-term licenses meaning that these pieces are going to shoot up in value once they have been retired agree and one other thing too on the idea side is if you look at past lego ideas one of the items they did was the back to the future the delorean oh that's such a cool one and they did ecto one but smaller versions of it and then subsequent to that there was a huge demand for these products and they ended up making the larger sets so they have a delorean out now i think it's like 150 bucks but it's a bigger delorean right and they did the huge version of the ecto one because they saw value in what consumers were saying, hey, we want this. So they gave people an option to um, get a bigger item, right? That's it's part of the Lego sets and, and where they are. And it's just predictability, right? Like if I can source it from my fan base, a, a specific license, I can go and procure it. And a company like Funko, who has so many licenses in their back pocket, to have something like this along those lines, maybe not the idea set, but a pop version of a character that people like, or, I mean, you can save costs on the the front end of people are going to basically do the designs for you, right? And implement this and, and crowdsource it because it's something that that's going to sell. And a lot of these sets, that they as Lego came out with the icon sets, were these large sets that, have you know five, six, seven thousand pieces, the Titanic, things like that. These sort of crowdsourcing voting, you know, democracy by production strategy that they've implemented has allowed them to make these sets and actually be successful in producing them while maintaining the licenses that they already have. And it's wild to think that like, why hasn't Funko copied this? Because like not saying they copy a lot of things from other companies, but they do take inspiration from other people. And there's so many people in the Funko community that are ultra creative. Like look at all these people that do these like prototype, like mock-ups of like pops that they want to see made. Like there's whole, there's whole Facebook groups of people. That's all that they do is they, I've even seen tons of people do like 3d rendering. Like all the work is done for you. They would just have to hand the stuff over to Funko. And maybe if they just gave them like a, like a gift card to the shop or like, you know, credit on it or something like that. Like there's, I know people that would just be more than willing to. And I mean, I don't necessarily agree with that because it's, it's kind of along the lines of like a little bit of shadiness where companies will be like, Hey, here's a logo contest. We're, we want a new logo. So they'll crowdsource this like logo to be made. And then they just get free design work and then they don't ever have to pay for it. But I think if there was some kind of like return, which I mean, and I know Lego kind of, I don't think there's any, is there any reward for having your design picked as an idea set? 
I would have to double check, but I know early on they did reward people. I don't know if it was naming conventions or putting, they, they have credits to all their designs, right? So I'm sure that there's some monetary award that goes with it. I, I would assume that, right? They've done the hard work. So it's probably a yeah. one-time fee that they pay people. And don't get me wrong, like Funko has done this in the past once that I know of. And that was at oh, Fun the, Days, the, yeah, the, I do Bat remember. Boy, Bat Boy, mm-hmm. remember? And yeah, like draw your draw your favorite like spastic or it's not spastic anymore. What is it called? Uh, fantastic plastic. Uh, make up a guy and then we'll we'll pick it. And the one that got picked is cool, man. And it was like a young was it a young kid that designed it, right? Yeah, it was. And uh, I, his name is like I want to say Connor is the guy's name or Christian or something like that. But he was at the table beside our table at Fun Days when they announced that his design won. Oh, cool. So it was kind of cool to bring that in and you could see a sense of camaraderie, especially at fun days where you have a lot of fanatics there and mm-hmm. just being proud to say, Hey, you know, we were part of something great. And I think that you can expand that, push it to scale to support it. And going back to Lego, I mean, what we've talked about before, if you look at their product lineup, right. From sets that are Duplo for young kids, they have those items all the way up to the minifigures, which are more niche collectors, to the modulars, which are also niche collectors, but at a larger scale. Their price points range from $3.99 for the minifigures and the blind bags, all the way up to like five, six, seven hundred dollars $800 for the Millennium Falcon, the, the huge one that's the size of a coffee table that I have. They, There's not the, many of them that are that big, though. Those are very like few and far between. I would say that they right now where they are in their current state, they put a one of those at least a year now where they didn't before because the Titanic is even bigger than the Millennium Falcon. And well, that's the biggest set they've ever done, right? It's like a 10, is it how many 10,000 piece set or something like that? Something around there. I think it's like 9,000 or something, but they also just did Rivendale because they got their Lord of the Rings license back. And that's, Oh yeah, dude, I saw that the other day. It looks so good. Yeah, no, it's, it's crazy. And That's what I'm saying. Like they have a product base that spans a wide range with creativity and there is different elements that you can't do with a company like Funko that you can do with Lego. Like you can go buy the individual bricks and become a master builder. Uh, It is 9,090 pieces for the Titanic. It is humongous. Yeah. I, I can't imagine how long that takes. I know, uh, uh, friend of the show, Dylan, our, our, our pinball friend, he did. I, I saw him do, I believe it was the uh, the Batmobile, like the the one that came out a couple years ago. Yeah. It was like I the really too, nice, yeah. like super detailed one, the, the 89 Batmobile. I saw, I watched him do it. He did like a time lapse video, and that that's a huge set. And like he said, it took him like a good like five or six days because he didn't work on it. Like he did a couple hours every night, but he said it was pretty pretty long term but it, it looked really good when i was done i'm like man and that's my problem why i can't collect this stuff is because i just want to open everything and build it and i don't have space for that man yeah they could get the larger sets can get crazy but if you're like a mini figures collector i collected since series one i kind of trailed off at the end here lately but for the longest time i had every set up to like set 17 series 17 for the mini figures there are those niche collectible elements of this product. And when we talk about, you know, taking a singular product that has different ways of doing it, like how could 
a company like Funko implement that? How could a company like Hasbro, they, they try to do it. I think that they do that with the buildable figures, but it's not creative, right? I can't change these parts out. I just got to force myself to go and buy all of those Marvel figures to build Thanos, right? There, there's not that side of like, I can create something different. And that's well, I will say like is I, unique. I will say with Hasbro, yes and no, right? Because by default, they, they, it's not a system. Like Lego is a, a creative system more than it is anything else because, you know, you could build buy these pre-built sets or you could just go buy a big old tub of bricks and you can make whatever you want to. And like, there's really cool apps. Like, um, I don't remember the name of it, but like you can dump a bunch of Legos on the ground and you take a photo of all of the pieces and it'll suggest something that you can build based on the, the bricks that you have out in front of you. Right. So you could go from that or you can go all the way up to like going crazy and buying these very specific pizzas for your, your builds. Like for instance, the, um, Boba Fett slave one, like the original slave one, there is a hatch that is used on the slave one that was only ever produced for that set. And it sells for like $200 for that one piece because you can't get it anywhere else. And people that are doing these like cool, like spaceship builds, right? There's like people that are like, the master builders or like their competitive builders, they need stuff like that to do really cool, like one-off pieces. So there's some stuff that just sells for the most out outlandish prices, but translating that over to, to Hasbro Hasbro has a huge community of people that are custom figure makers. So like what they'll do is they'll, they do like kit bashing where, you know, you'll grab a bunch of different like figures and because they do have kind of a, a system where they all are, relatively the same they use the same connecting joints and stuff like that or you can just like you know pop different arms on there and heads and sometimes it does require modification but that's where the creativity comes into it so you do have that aspect there i mean even funko has it with like the custom you know the funko custom makers and stuff like that but not on the same i think not on the same level as like people who are into like lego and even hasbro yeah and i think that like you said there is so much creativity in Lego and Lego does for a big company. I feel a good job of communicating with collectors and their fan base. I mean, there's Lego stores and some of them have that little extra room on the side where they do master build sessions where you can bring kids in and they can, they'll have a master builder come in and show them how they create things uh, and things along those lines. So there there's interaction. Do they do that there. at our store? The one I, here? They, I think, um, no, I don't think because the, cause we're not an official Lego store. It's just a Lego land is not actually part of Lego. Yeah, but they do have a Lego store in Frisco at the Stonebriar center. And there's another mm. one in Dallas official Lego stores. Yeah. But I don't, the Frisco one doesn't, but I, I've seen it somewhere. I forget where it was, where they had that, but I know that the Lego theme park that's in the mall and grapevine up there, I'm sorry, we're getting <laughs> a little too personal, but, um, they do have similar things too just going through that little indoor theme park where they, they show yeah. how things are built Legoland. They have theme parks, right? This is a company that has capitalized on all elements and entertainment and collectability. You have theme parks, you have video games that have been successful. You have movies that were tremendously successful. It's, it's something that they were able to do and just out of products they created and getting the licenses they have to put Batman in a Lego movie and then the Lego Batman movie. I mean, all of this 
is creativity at its best. Um, and then there's, it's unique, right? It's, it's something that's not actors. Like it's, what do they call that? Not claymation, but freeze frame. What's it called? Stop motion. Yeah. Stop motion animation. And, uh, they made those movies successful or popular based off of that. So it's ingrained into the fan base. They've created something that's lasting and the creativity they source internally and from their fans. So I don't know if, if anyone's collecting Legos that listens to the podcast, but it's definitely something to look into because there are a wide option. And some of the cons that I would talk about is, is the limitations of their licenses. They don't have a tremendous amount of licenses. They try to source as best they can the Legos ideas. So I'm sure they're purchasing the one-off licenses as needed. And they probably in their quote unquote review cycle probably have limitations on what they can produce. Cause I saw like a studio Ghibli spirited away set that they oh, have an so idea. Cool, studio Ghibli is so hard, but they did get the Nintendo license, which was pretty much incredible. Cause Funko can't even do that. Oh, I don't know. But I'm like, okay, so we, we talk about that, but like, so there's another aspect to this. So which more relates to what we would talk about. And, and that, and that is the collectability aspect of this, right? So one of the things that so many people, I mean, everybody knows what Lego is. Like, that's one of the things you could say versus like Funko, which I'll still run into people that don't, I don't know how it's physically possible, but we'll I'll still run into people that don't know what Funko is. Or they'll, I'll say the, I'll say the name and they're like, I don't know. And then I, I'll show them a picture or, or I'll show them a pop or something like that. And they're like, oh yeah, I've seen those big head thingies in the store. Oh yeah. And them look good. Them dang bobbly heads. Okay. But if you say Lego to somebody, they're like, oh, I know what Lego is. I played with Legos as a kid. Everybody's played with Legos at some point. You have, you have, and it's, it's, it's part of the, like, the zeitgeist, right? But the thing that I th- people still are shocked about this is the collectability aspect of this or, the, like, the investment side of it. People do not realize how much the value there is in Lego pieces. One, if it's a sealed piece, right? And yeah. if it's retired... And how much it actually goes up in value once it's been vaulted or whatever that retired, I think is what their, their term is like, yeah, you could go back and look for any of these pieces. Like for instance, I always use this as like perfect example, Simpsons house, right? So it's set came out in 2014. Okay. And it originally retailed at, it was like 199. It's both of them, the quickie Mart and the house. Yeah. So like the Lego house, it currently it's has sold anywhere from four to almost $700 for that set right now. And that's kind of wild, but you go back and look at any piece that has been, that has been retired and the average across the board is an increase of about 250% in value. No, you can't say that across the board about pops. Like once a pop is vaulted, like, there's some crappy pops out there. They vault and it's still worth $10. Like to this day, you are hard pressed to find a sealed Lego set that is worth the same retail after, you know, it's worth the same as was as that retail after it is vaulted. It's almost always somewhere in that at least doubling in value. And some of them are way more than that. So, and, it, and it's like, if you look at the numbers, it's like, wow, Lego like appreciates more than gold does. And it's very, 
very impressive and, and, and people don't get that. And I, I kind of show them there's a website. If people want to go check it out, it's called brick economy, go to BrickEconomy.com. This is not a, they're not a sponsor or anything like that. It's just a great tool. It's kind of like pop price guide, yeah. but you, they have historical data and you can see where like on a, on a, on a map, like where things are at, how much they sold for when it was vaulted, what the, or retired, I want to say vaulted, but it, it's, it's just, it's wild. And, and that's the, the thing is when I talk to people that come into the store and they're like, Oh, I'm looking for something they like, or they talk about investment. I'm like, man, if you want to invest in something, look at Lego, buy Lego pieces, especially licensed ones. And if you can get a hold of idea sets, buy those, throw them in your closet for five years, then check the price. See what it is like. I've done it. I've, I, I bought a, uh, for the, oh, I forgot what they are like the, not Ninjago, but it was the, one of those other like Lego original, like nin- ninja sets or like, robot sets i can't you know which one i'm talking about there was i think there's like a tv show based off of it that was ninjago oh there was another one anyway whatever it is i it was a set i bought for like 39 dollars, and i got on clearance at target one day for like 14 dollars. it's a 165 dollars set right now the yellow submarine i still have that set i have a couple of those early lego idea sets and they're worth a lot have the Quickie Mart and the Simpsons house, but I built the Simpsons house because I loved it so much. Quickie Mart still in the box. They printed an article not too long ago about the safest investment in collectibles for year over year. And Lego was that I find it crazy because the amount of the sets that they put out to correlate the data that says it's a hundred percent increase or a 200% increase on a price point that, that is that high with the producibility of some of those runs that they have, which tells you that the demand is there for these sets uh, if you're going to invest. And it's something that I try to always get the one to stock and one to rock. But when you talk about these expensive sets, it's just not worth it. It's kind of, well, it's kind of hard with it. Yeah. You don't want to drop $200 on a set and then the size of like, but if you have space for it, if you have a closet, you can throw them into and you want to invest in something and let's say you're investing in like stocks and you like, okay, I'm going to take a little bit of my stock investment money. I want to throw it in a physical Legos, you know, do that. I mean, there's even if it's small pieces, right? Like, you know, 50, $60 sets, grab an extra one. If you can find one on clearance, buy it and just hold on to it see what it does. It's a pretty low risk, especially if you're, you know, getting it with different like stores are just trying to clear them out. Could you imagine if Lego ran NFTs for minifigures? Or sets? What if they did full sets? That would be incredible. You have limited run sets for the utility in NFTs. Those things would go for crazy amounts of dollars. I don't know if they're going to get into that market, but it certainly would be enticing. Um, and if they went to wax, wax would shoot up to like $3. Dude, I, I don't, I don't even know. It's that would, I support it. You know, like Funko's done a pretty good job with it. I would definitely be okay with Lego going into that space. I mean, Hot Wheels, Hot Wheels has done really good for it. I mean, like I've picked up a few, uh, Hot Wheels pieces and they end up selling for like, like crazy amount. Like I, you know. You figure like average Hot Wheels like three dollars and fifty cents, and I sold one for like a hundred and forty. One of the NFT ones are like a hundred and forty dollars. It's kind of crazy. So like a Lego going into that, I can't even imagine. 
you imagine how expensive one of those like Lego NFT set or like even minifigures, like because there's some Lego minifigs that go for wild amounts. Yeah, and the, to your point on the Hot Wheels piece, it's something that is a low price point, high collectible market. I even when I got into Funko, I'd collected Hot Wheels when I was a kid, really, really young, but I didn't know the depths of dedication for collectors in a market until I saw the Hot Wheels. So if you put a limit on those pieces, I mean, if you look at the rarest Hot Wheels, even super rares for Hot Wheels, they don't sell for that much, right? They don't no. have like 20, 30 Well, I guess bucks. in relation in relation to like what most of the MSRPs are, they are high, but yeah. If you look at actual real money, yeah, it's not. It's not that much at all. But when you put the nft redeemable we're making 500 of these then the price is like two three hundred dollars which is just crazy insane so you put that markup on the side that's like a hundred x of what you would pay for a hot wheel right 200 x right yeah you put that on a value of a lego set or a minifigure you know four dollars a piece that's eight hundred dollars and if you look where lego has done this for limited runs their minifigures at San Diego Comic-Con, and this just hurts my soul to even talk about this because of my experience. But those minifigures that are put up there, they're like $300 right away, and some of them are way more than that now. They had Zebra Batman. They had the Spider-Man when I was there. And, you know, I didn't get it, but still, from a collectible standpoint, those minifigures are just crazy at San Diego Comic-Con for when they produce it because they are so limited. I mean, there were like a thousand people in line, dude. And it was wrapped around the building and they all went there. You know, I, I don't think that their delivery system for the lottery is very valuable. You need to take strategy tip of the week. If you go to San Diego Comic-Con and they're going to be producing Legos at any time, you walk up to a lottery iPad and press a button that says, yeah, you got it or no, you didn't. Make sure you take like five to seven people with you and just say, hey, you know, I'll throw some money in your pocket if we get these because... I really want to get it because if not, you'll be that one person like me that doesn't get it and just be angry all day. And even to this how, day, how much of the, is that Spider-Man worth the one that you did not get? Like if you were to go on eBay right now and buy that, how much is it? Well, I remember when I was there, um, in at the comic con trying to get it. And the day after, uh, they released, I think they were selling for like three, three fifty. So uh, I wonder what it would be now. Uh, $1,550. I see one on eBay now. What? Yeah. It's crazy. Yep. Right there it is. San Diego uh, Comic-Con exclusive 2019 PS4 Spider-Man. So that's not even the one that I went for. I think the, I forget the one that, that was there the year, but you can see how they increase in value because these things, they make a super limited number. And I think the number is probably in the thousand range or so. And I don't know the exact number, but still you can see the incredible demand for these and how they sell. It's just crazy. I just wanted to put on a shelf somewhere. I couldn't. <laughs> That's all you're going to do is stick it on this shelf. Yeah, it's crazy. I wonder what the zebra Batman is worth. I'm typing if you can hear on the podcast, but it's, it's just interesting to see, you know, um, 
what the values do over time. $800 for the Zebra Batman. Isn't that crazy? I mean, it is freaking crazy. Uh, I don't understand. Yeah, and so they they had Stranger Things that year too. Uh, there was a couple Lego figures that they had. So, I mean, from a collectability standpoint, there's different avenues. And I've already said this, like you can collect the minifigures. They even have Brickheads now, which kind of look like a Lego version of a pop I figure. like the Brickheads, dude. I bought the I've, whole first series, man. Don't tell me about that, you know? Dude, I wish I would have gotten the, uh, there's a, a two-pack. It's like Spider-Man and Venom? It's a San Diego Comic-Con exclusive? Yes. I want that so bad, and it's so expensive, I, and it makes me very sad. I want it. Yeah, and as a collector, that that's something that speaks to me, right? Like we always talk like Funko's price point is enticing to people and to get it's a, cheap. a payoff on limited items, even what we saw at WonderCon this year. They they actually had good resale values for some of those pops that were there. It's enticing, right? And and, oh, yeah. and people like that. The low price point combined with that, but I would say that Lego offers something that is unique as well. Like if you want to enter, I love minifigures. I've always loved minifigures. I have tons of sets yeah. of them. And even if you go to conventions, they have individual sets. Cause some of the sort of, um, and things that get collectors in there is buying minifigures from sets. So if you buy sets and you don't want to keep all the minifigures, some of those minifigures can sell for like 50, 60, $70 on those sets, just the, the sets alone. And I think minifigures bring people there, low price points again, and collectability as well, collecting the sets and things along those lines. So they do a good job of that. So if you are a collector and it's something that you want to look into, I would say go and start slow because you don't want, you don't want to just dive in or dive in what well, that's up to you, but they offer a wide range of products. I think their weak points are licensing. They, don't always get the best licenses and they don't have a wide range of licenses, but that's, that also speaks to the point. They're not driving something so much to scale that it just floods the market with too much product. They can't. Well, they're getting the licenses. They know people want because people like the Harry Potter. They like the Marvel. They like the DC. They like cars. They like, uh, Star Wars architecture. They like Star Wars. You like one of those things. You have to, if you don't or Disney. There's, that's everything that they, they covers every potential person, right? At least from wanting one of them. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I mean, like every, everybody likes one of those things. At least if you don't, then I don't, I don't understand. But the set I was, I, I'm going to interject here. Nexo Knights. That was the, that, those. Um, okay. Yeah. They were the buildable, like larger figures. But yeah. There's like mechs and like dragons and like, it was, it was their own like IP thing. But uh, yeah, that, that's what I was thinking of. Okay. Back to what you're saying. No, that's good. I think check them out. I'll put a lot of things in the show notes and I'll get what Piper said about the brick economy and, and add that. So you can sort of see glance at it as collectors, give you a different option, maybe reinvigorate collecting for you. And these items are always like in high demand. So uh, look into it. Let us know what you think. Do you collect Legos? What are your favorite sets? What are some of the favorite licenses that you've seen over the years? Are you like me now that I'm a straight Lego prostitute. I've said prostitute in two episodes now, but I, I want the biggest sets that I can get. And I, I'm attracted to the bigger and the better. 
the the Titanic, the Millennium Falcon. I may not even collect it, but I just love the uniqueness. My problem is, is I get them and I just don't want to take them out of the box all the time. <laughs> I know. That's it. Dude, like I'm looking at these, right? So I'm looking through the, at the Nexo Knight stuff and you look at them and it's like, what's the, what's the, the growth? Like the, the, the value growth on some of these things. This one's like 28%, 212% with a 19% annual growth on it. It's, it's absolutely insane. If you, if you're sleeping on Lego and you are like, if you're a collector that cares about value, if you're a collector that cares about fun things, if you're a collector that just wants something different out there or new kind of community, cause I don't think as far as I know, Lego community is not super toxic. Everybody seems to be really friendly. All the Lego people I know, like even like the streamers and the content creators that do Lego stuff are all super nice. And there's like a whole list of people that like we could recommend, like one of them being like Jace, right? Jace, the collector yep. dude is a cool guy. And like everybody I've, I've met is like a like hardcore Lego collector, all the like friendliest people ever. It's definitely, it's something if you, if you need a new Avenue or something to kind of supplement, like, Oh, I don't want to spend as much money on Funko, but I still want something that's really fun to collect. And something that's actually on the easier side to find things from Lego look into it. It's I highly suggest it. Ricky is, been collecting lego way longer than i have i mean like i've been building we've both been building legos like our whole life but like i've never like taken it i've never thought of it from like a like a collectibles aspect until really within the past couple of years so i've been slowly building back into it mainly collecting just like marvel stuff is what i've been doing and but it's it's a really fun hobby to get into and it's something that you can share like especially if you have younger kids it's something to easily share with those younger kids in your life too because you know the kids love legos adults love them everybody let's do it let's do the legos together yes let's do legos together and if you guys uh want to get into legos you can message us directly we have all of the deets we can share it what we haven't shared on this episode much more you can hit us up on twitter and instagram at pop alliance pod email us direct info at popcollectorsalliance.com go to facebook.com slash popcollectorsalliance our YouTube video, I think I'm going to get this right now, youtube.com slash C slash Pop Collectors Alliance. Not a lot of Legos on there, but there will be in the future because I have a ton of sets I need to build. And it's something I'd like to do time-lapse wise, show people some of the products that they can get and sort of be immersive in that Lego collecting. So again, guys, it's something that you need to check out. Check out Lego ideas, things along those lines. If you're a designer, it's something that you can get into and just have fun with too. So it's fun for all ages and collectability. Uh, that is our take on Lego. And uh, I did contact Lego about getting a, a wholesale account for the store. And they told me, hey, thanks for your interest. Uh, looks great. We'll get back to you in six to nine months. <laughs> it's like, okay, cool. Thanks. When was that? Uh... Like six months ago. Oh, maybe so, it's coming. Maybe it's coming. Maybe it's coming. I'm, I keep, I got a notification set up as soon as I get that Lego email. I'm all over it. I wonder what it is at <laughs> wholesale, like $3 oh. less than the MSRP. No, it's the markup's real bad. I think it's like 15, per, oh, like there's a 15% profit on it. Yeah. But it's like one of those things, like for most stores, Lego is like, Lego's the thing that get people in. It's not something you make money on. And then you sell them other things that you have a higher, whatever. Yeah, you got to gotta push that up sale. Yeah, man. Always pushing. All right. Well, that concludes our episode this week. A lot of stuff coming up, maybe a special interview in the near future. 
We're going to get back into the collectors and creators series and talk to Mr. Funko eventually. Um, my return to Fort Worth is imminent. I got probably about six to eight weeks on that. So more to come in the near future, get into the video realm and all the good things. But until next time, I'm Rick. I'm Piper. Good night. And go get some Legos and stay up all night building a, a castle or a, a space wizard rocket or, or, uh, or whatever, a boy band. <laughs> I love you. Good night.